This podcast is presented to you by a new series, The Clergy Confessions Podcast, now available wherever you get your podcast. Listen to ministers share truly awful experiences in anonymity. In this first season, you will hear stories of a minister fighting for maternity leave deep into her pregnancy, a pastor being fired for discovering an embezzlement scheme by the deacon board, an associate pastor finding his senior pastor and office administrator having an affair on church property, and so much more. Visit clergyconfessions.com. Follow Clergy Confessions on Instagram, Facebook, and whatever Twitter's called now. There's a fascinating physiological aspect of all this. You know, we, we of course, most of us know that our busyness is going to affect the relationships around us. But um, acclaimed cardiologist Mark Freeman defined um, all this as hurried sickness, where there's mm-hmm. this continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things with less and less time. Um, and at the end of the day, this, you know, we're just... A uniquely designed composition of skin and bones and cells and organs and consciousness and and it's not designed to be busy and so you know while we're filling up our schedules and multitasking it's taking a physical and emotional and mental toll um you you know shape restlessness as a season of spirituality help us understand what you mean by that Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work and renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host, and this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, the Honorable Charles Qual, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlor, Trip Hawthorne, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. Thanks for listening. Little Rock, Arkansas, Pittsburgh, PA, Ashburn, Virginia, West Yellowstone, Montana, Tamworth, Australia, and Hamilton, Canada. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. And before we move on, we need to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Zondervan Media Company, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, A Model Ministry, and Gardner-Webb University's School of Divinity. Finally, and I promise this is it, don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity. The Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity aims to equip, nurture, encourage, and support men and women for their best service in the kingdom of God. Offering several programs, including master's and doctoral levels, you'll be equipped and encouraged to discover the unique place where your faith reaches out to meet the needs of the world. Now enrolling for fall of 2023, 
more information about Gardner-Webb Divinity Program scholarships and grants, call 704-406-3205 and visit gardner-webb.edu. Our guest to this week's CBF podcast conversation is Dr. Casey Tigard. He is the Director of Spiritual Direction, Practice for Soul Care. Casey is also an author of several books, including The Practice of Remembering, Becoming Curious, and The Gift of Restlessness. He is also the host of the Restlessness is a Gift podcast. Casey, thank you for joining the conversation. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So tell us a little bit more about your vocational journey for those that maybe aren't familiar with your work. Yeah, well, it's funny. I feel like I've, I feel like this has been a, a conversation I've had a lot lately, partially because I talk with a lot of people who are trying to discern things with their vocation. So I grew up in Southern West Virginia and, and let me preface this with, I'm not going to do a whole like backstory origin story here. I was a young man growing up. Uh, I grew up in Southern West Virginia and we were in a small family church uh, in a small town. So my family took up the first two pews every Sunday, cousins and aunts and uncles. And my parents were volunteer youth leaders. And I think that was really the first, my first exposure. And I was young, I was six, seven years old, but I still remember pieces of that. So that was my first real exposure to what does it look like for someone to have an official working role at a church? And we were that that church, and then uh, went to uh, another church in a neighboring town that was a Nazarene church, and that's really where my first faith steps started, and that was what really shaped my understanding of what pastoring looked like, and what uh, life as a person who works in an area of faith might look like. So when I was in high school. Uh, I felt this draw to go into pastoral ministry. So that was in 1996. And I had a really <laughs> specific, narrow definition of what that might look like. So it was going to be a senior pastor of a Nazarene church in Southern West Virginia. And so I'm sitting here today, you know, 2023, I am a part-time associate at a Christian church and I also am a spiritual director and write books and host a podcast. So things have changed from that original. So I guess to talk about my vocation is to talk about how I believe vocations evolve over time. And I know there are some, but not for everyone. I mean, there are some people I know who they and their early, late teens, early 20s were called to pastoral ministry and they have done it for their entire life. Uh, and so... And I have no, there's no issue or suspicion there for me, but that just hasn't been my journey. So in the meantime, I've spent time working in youth and students, uh, in preaching and teaching. I've taught at the college and seminary level a little bit, uh, which was, a, which is a lot of fun. And then spiritual direction started. I, I started seeing a director and then became a director in 2015. And so that has been a big part too. So my my life has really settled down a bit in the area of, of spiritual formation. And that's where a lot of my writing has happened. That's where a lot of the spiritual direction work is uh, helping people understand that they have a soul that they have been given to steward and take care of. 
and that we are all in the process of formation. Dallas Willard said we're all in in a process of spiritual formation. And so I I get the privilege of walking with people and helping them discern what they do next in that journey, uh, how to navigate really difficult things like, huh, the faith that brought me here may not be the faith that takes me there. What do I what do I do with that? That's been a lot of the vocational stuff that I've done in the last few years. We can't go any further without telling about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. How does your congregation handle ministry staff leadership for areas such as youth and children's ministry? More and more churches are cultivating these leaders from within their congregations. Going away to seminary is not an option for these persons, yet many desire some level of theological education to better prepare them for their ministry role. In response to this trend, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has launched the Homegrown Initiative. The Homegrown Initiative offers ministry leaders options for training and growth that fits into their busy schedules. If you or someone else at your church is serving as a homegrown minister and is looking to be better equipped as a minister, visit bsk.edu to learn more about new creative options for growth. bsk.edu. That's bsk.edu. Tell us about soul care. Soul care was an interesting opportunity that came really out of nowhere. A dear friend of mine named Mindy Caligwire she and her husband, Jeff, were church planters, had a really difficult burnout experience as church planters. And since then, Mindy has been really committed to soul health and soul flourishing, especially for leaders. And so a lot of our work at Soul Care is how do we elevate the conversation around soul health for organizations and leaders? So we serve with, we serve churches parachurch organizations and not-for-profits, but also how do we help them understand that the healthier your soul is, the more vibrant you will be in your vocation and your calling. And so I oversee a team of about 27 spiritual directors, and we primarily serve leaders within parachurch, church, and not-for-profit organizations. And we help them step out of the isolation we feel sometimes in ministry the things that we are going through that we feel like no one else, we either can't talk to anybody else about it or no one else would understand. And spiritual directors create that non-anxious space where someone can rest with what they're experiencing and also find where God is active in the midst of that. So we do spiritual direction. I do a bit with coaching people who are going on sabbatical, which has been an emerging uh, an emerging piece of my work since uh, the pandemic feels like sabbatical has suddenly is having its day right now uh, for church and parachurch leaders. We also do leadership coaching, consulting. We provide a a a nine week experience called Strengthening Our Souls. That's about bringing the conversation around soul health, the basics around soul health and soul flourishing to individuals and organizations. So that's a fire hose full of stuff, Andy. <laughs> Sorry to let it all out at once, but soul care has, it's just been a real gift uh, for me to be able to serve there and and bring some energy to what, to what soul care is doing. Well, outside of all of that great work you're doing, uh, somehow in the last couple of years, you've You've cranked out several new books. Um, you have a new book, The Gift of Restlessness. This book examines a spirituality for unsettled seasons. You wrote, I have a strange kinship with restlessness. Every six months or so, 
I enter into the unsettled present tense. Maybe you do too. Um, how was this book rooted in your personal experience? Yeah, it's been something. Restlessness has been a that's it's been a companion, I would say. Uh, like I mentioned in the book, like the quote you just read, there there have been so many times where I have I've come to that point of saying something something needs to change. So I just that feeling of just being in a rut, being stuck, and that's the mild version of it. But there have also been times in my life where I felt this this inclination that I can't go back. Something has happened, and I cannot go back to the way things used to be. So an event, uh, a stage of life, a stage of faith has passed, and I cannot go back to the way things used to be. But at the same time, I have no idea what it would look like to move forward. Like my, I'm used to that stuff I just left behind, but I have no idea what it means to go forward. And so there have been these times in my life where I'm, I, all I have is what's right in front of me. Now, don't get me wrong. All any of us have is what's right in front of us. But there are these very specific, very unique moments where I can't go back and I cannot move forward. And so in the middle of the present tense, whether it's making decisions about do I stay in a current ministry role, for me, with a, growing up with a very definite version of vocation and calling, like you decide to be a pastor. I actually had a, I had a professor in Bible college who said, if you're called to preach, don't stoop to be a king. And it's a, it's a powerful quote, but it also, you leave that with the feeling of, well, if my vocation changes, then I'm just settling for a bronze medal. And so having to navigate times when I realized, gosh, I, I cannot go back to the times when I thought senior pastor was my calling, but I have no idea what to do now. Cause that's, that's all I've ever known. That's all I've been prepared for. And so those restless moments where you're kind of stuck in the present tense we have this tendency, I have this tendency to either check out or try to fight through it or just become cynical and be like, well, I guess there's nothing else I can do. And instead, what I find is that those are times when I am way more open to what God may have to teach me if I'm willing to lean into it instead of trying to fight it or escape it or deny that, you know, oh, this is not so bad. If I'm willing to embrace what that moment brings. I find that those are times when God has a great deal to teach me about myself, about what I need, about what I'm afraid of, about where I feel unsafe, about where I feel I belong. Uh, there's such a belonging. I left uh, a large denomination that I had grown up in and had gone to a, a Bible college uh, related to that denomination. And when I left, there was this feeling of, okay, so uh, this network and all these connections they're gone. Where do I belong? And of course, that was ridiculous because it's not like those people disappeared. But you do feel this sense of being, when restlessness pops up like that, you do, I did feel this sense of being disconnected. And so that's how restlessness has shown up in my life. Um, not just that, but in, in other things, I feel like 2020, I feel like the pandemic era, it's I feel like the pandemic really gave us all a, a bit to think about as far as what was most important. Uh, I know I had friends who were in ministry full-time 
pushing the limits of their energy and and they when they got locked down and they're working from home or they're you know around at home with their families more they looked around and they were like who are these people these people are amazing i'd really like to spend more time with these folks and so they were willing to make changes and i know that's a privileged not everybody could do this but uh, some folks that i know were willing to make changes to say i'll give up this other hard driving piece if it means i get to be with my family and watch my kids grow up. But there was, for those folks, there was a middle piece. There was a time of restlessness saying, I cannot go back to 55 hours a week killing myself, but what do I do instead? So how do I move forward? And so I felt that restlessness come home for me, but also also for them. So there's a variety of ways that that has, has popped out in my life, but those are just some some specific examples. Yeah, and kind of the paradox for ministers coming out of the pandemic is, you know, they were exhausted from the experience and yet coming out of the pandemic required a different level of energy and drive and, and, um, vocational application than, than before. Um, you know, research indicates that an individual's perceived level of busyness may be heavily connected to their self-worth as well Mm. as how others view their status. Um, Individuals who are busy by choice may feel needed, you know, in demand and important, and that elevates their sense of self-worth. And culturally, there has been a shift in status perception that, you know, material objects and goods are no longer the only indicator of one's social standing. Now, you know, and individuals who are busy at work uh, are overworked and um, they have a lack of real leisure time is perceived as like a higher status. Um, you know, one of the aspects of busyness is that it numbs and keeps us away from the difficult reality outside of our busyness. Um, you know, when it comes to challenging relationships and difficult home life and strange financial situations, along with a low sense of, of self-worth. Um, does that kind of resonate with, you know, your journey and some of the work you're coaching folks around? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think one of the things that we are helping, I mean, one of the most corrosive things to the soul is what I think it's Ruth Haley Barton calls performance-oriented drivenness. That, like you mentioned, the busyness becomes the identity. And that if you are that person that someone comes up to and says, oh, how are you? And you're like, oh, I'm doing great. I'm just busy. If you don't say that, there's almost this, what's wrong with you? Uh, are you are you okay? Should we have a check-in with you? Are, you? are you doing all right? So there is part of that with us where, and I find this, I find this a lot of times, to be honest, with people who are going into sabbatical and helping, let's say they have, you know, six weeks that they've been given and usually that that phrase they've been given is key it's not often sometimes i've had this happen but it's not often that someone's like i just need to step away for a while a lot of times it's a leadership team or a spouse or an eldership has said i think you need to take some sabbatical space and it's orienting them around the fact that you in the next 6 weeks need to not do the same things you've done for the last seven years or however many, you need to step into a different rhythm and the shock that that is to the system. And sometimes that shock is simply because you're used to the rhythm of it and the busyness of it. But sometimes it's because 
you're you're chipping away at a particular identity. And so we're at an interesting crossroads, I think, in the church where there is a restlessness that has come from the pandemic where we've realized that there are things that we valued that now we cannot, we, we, we didn't value and now we know we didn't value it and we can't go back to the way things used to be. So we did a survey through Soul Care with some leaders and said, you know, what are you noticing after the pandemic? as being true of your organization. And the first two things were, number one, there's a ruthless resistance to going back to the way things were. The same levels of busyness, the same values, uh, the same levels of performance-oriented drivenness. But the other thing was that this is a hinge point for the conversation around soul care and spiritual formation. And so what has happened is there's an awakening to the fact that I have a soul, I need to take care of it, and ministry is not always a soul healthy thing, but there's a possibility for ministry to be a soul healthy kind of thing. And so how do we find a way to elevate the conversation around soul health, but also to take seriously the responsibility we have to fulfilling our calling and our, our mission and our what we've been invited by the divine to do? So that's so that's a lot of the work that we're doing. I also think there's a generational conversation around this where a generation of people now understand you don't have to come to an office. And my wife works in human resources, so this is broader than just the church, but it's part of the church too. You don't have to come to an office to be productive and helpful and execute your your calling or your vocation. Uh there's a lot of flexibility. There's work from home things that actually work well. So it's it's causing us to change the way we think about boundaries and space. In some ways, the work from home movement is helping with rhythms and balance. And in some ways, it's making it worse because you never leave the office. Your office is the kitchen table. So you could you could just as easily burn out at home as you would in an office because the question is still about who are you and what is what makes up your soul so it's not just your work or your vocation it's also your family it's your body it's how you take care of your mental emotional and spiritual health so yeah so i am seeing that i'm seeing that pressure to perform to deliver uh, but i'm also seeing it come out in very different ways depending on generation and location and and personal makeup as well we are pausing to tell you about one of our collaborative annual sponsors, A Model Ministry. Are you a church leader who's committed to keeping children safe? If so, then A Model Ministry is for you. We are a registered nonprofit organization specializing in safety education, policy writing, and risk assessment to mitigate child abuse in ministry organizations. We understand that child safety is a top priority for churches, and we are here to create a safe and nurturing environment for all children. Our founders can provide the resources and support needed to implement effective child safety policies and procedures. Visit amodelministry.com to learn more about our services and how we can help keep children safe. Since 2016, CBF episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, 
including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. There's a fascinating physiological aspect of all this. You know, we, we of course, most of us know that our busyness is going to affect the relationships around us. But um, claim cardiologist Mark Freeman defined um, all this as hurried sickness, where there's mm. this continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things with less and less time. Um, and at the end of the day, this, you know, we're just uniquely designed composition of skin and bones and cells and organs and consciousness. And, and it's not designed to be busy. And so, you know, while we're filling up our schedules and multitasking, it's taking a physical and emotional and mental toll. Um, you, you know, shape restlessness as a season of spirituality. Help us understand what you mean by that. Yeah. When I talk about spirituality, I'm talking about the connection with God in the midst of our of our everyday everything. So I also say in the book several times that anything that is human, whatever is most human is also spiritual because from the creation narratives, when we were when humanity was created, we were breathed into. We were in literally inspired. God breathed into human beings. And so that's a, that was spirit within us. So we are not only physical human beings, but we're also spiritual beings. And so whatever is human is also spiritual. So when I talk about a season of spirituality, it's how do we think about God's self and others? What is the approach we take in the middle of a time where we feel like we cannot go back, but we have no idea what it means to go forward? And there are so many rich metaphors for this in scripture. One of the ones that to me makes the most sense, and it's, it may be a little overused, but I think it's functional and I think it's helpful, is the metaphor of wilderness. So that place in between, for the Exodus story, it's in between Egypt and the promised land. Uh, for Jesus, it's the space between the baptism and his ministry. Uh, for Elijah, it's the space between the threats of Jezebel and the the future of his prophetic ministry. So it's always this space in between. Celtic theology talks about it as a threshold, or Celtic philosophy, spirituality calls it a threshold. It's a place between places, and it's usually wild. It's usually dangerous. It's usually a place where all of our typical ways of dealing with reality, all of our ways of managing our image and um, our, our ways of being seen by others have, are, have disappeared. So I talk about the wilderness as a place where if there's any false self that we carry around, it gets stripped away. And I think this is why, especially in ministry, we see, we see a lot of people grow after they've had a massive failure because what failure does is it strips away the the image or the illusion that we had everything together. No one in the wilderness has all their stuff together. 
And so once that's stripped away, it's almost like, okay, good. Now that we've peeled that away, we can get to the real work. God can get to the real work of talking to us about what's actually happening in our lives. And so the spirituality of restlessness, of a restless season is, since I'm here in this in-between, I'm here in this wilderness moment, what is God teaching me about himself, about myself, and about others? And how do I how do I move? So spirit is about will and drives and desires. It's about the energy that's within us to do what's in front of us to do. And so how do I how do I move in this time? No, I can't I can't go back. I can't fix this or pretend it didn't happen. But I also have no idea what forward looks like. So what do I do instead? And the spirituality aspect of it is how do I connect with God in the midst of this and learn some things? So in the book, uh, I talk about I talk about the Lord's Prayer, and behind each line of the Lord's Prayer, I believe there are some there's a one very significant human question. So, when it comes to the Our Father who art in heaven, that's a question of where do I belong or who do I belong to. Uh, when it comes to let your kingdom come, that's a question of purpose. What am I here for? And then the rest of the prayer has, and throughout the book, we we go into those questions. But a spirituality for restless seasons is being able to learn and listen and let God teach us when we're stuck in that present tense. What is it that we, what is it that we're curious about related to where we belong? What is it we're curious about related to what our purpose is? Um, I find that I talk more to, especially to younger uh, people who are pursuing, maybe looking to go into ministry of some kind, maybe full-time, maybe part-time, I'd rather not talk about what do you want to do. I would much rather talk about what is it that you love? What is it that captures your passion in your heart? And then we can talk about what you do with it. Because for me, my experience was there was a, what do I do? Well, i I'm going to be a pastor in this particular church in this particular place. And what I've discovered over the years is that it's it's much less about the the task or the role. And it's more about what do you what do you love? And what does that mean for the time being? Because you may not be doing this forever, but what do you love at this point in your life? What is the story God has given you that you can share with other people? What's the way you can flesh this out? in a way that's helpful and hopeful and brings glory to God and hope to others and leads them closer to becoming like Jesus in the skin that they're in. So that's how I work through that spirituality question is, how do you discuss this? How do you think about this in the middle of whatever it is that you're in? Yeah, I love how you framed it in the book. You said, you know, those um, these unsettled states are cast as negative. That isn't always the case. Sometimes restlessness is rooted in hopeful anticipation. Restlessness often describes longing, hope, and desire in ways that words and images cannot. Um, restlessness also has a lot to do with our identity and purpose. You wrote, we, we often acquire into purpose with a task-focused question. What do I need to do? But we can't uh, ask for four more probing questions about our purpose from a posture of restlessness. How is uh, questions of purpose, um, you know, uh, how, to, how is it more about what we truly love, um, getting down to the root of, of our 
identity and our drive and our purpose behind it? What, what are some of those key questions we need to contemplate? I think one is one that's very been very important to me, and I use this in spiritual direction. Um, and it may it fe- I know when I say this outside of context, it, it kind of feels strange to people, but hopefully it won't. I, I'd like to talk to folks who are talking about vocational discernment. So they're trying to figure out what is it that God wants me to do. And maybe they have uh, they have something that they're interested in, or maybe they have a couple things that they're interested in. And so I usually ask them, do you trust the first I ask them two questions. I ask them, do you trust God? And that feels <laughs> that feels like a total setup question. You know, it's like the Sunday school question where the kid says, you know, I don't know. It sounds like these things, but since I'm in Sunday school, it really, the answer has to be God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not a setup question. So I ask them, do you trust God? And I really ask that because a lot of people will say, yeah, I, I do. I, I trust God. I trust that God is faithful. I trust that God will do what God says God will do, you know, those those sort of things. But then I ask them the follow-up, and this is the one that they that is usually more difficult. I say, do you believe God trusts you? And this is harder because we're fine trusting God, that God is wise, that God is good. For the most part, obviously there are there are times when we struggle with pain and and especially in this last week, you know, watching what has happened in the Holy Land, uh, there's been a lot of struggle with where is the goodness of God in the midst of all that. But for the most part, when I ask that question, do you do you believe, uh, do you trust God? And then do you believe God trusts you? The struggle there is uh, we don't always believe that we're trustworthy. And yet if God is wise and good, and it's God who has called us, and has given us the things that we love, then either God is unwise and we aren't worth it, or God has given us something to take care of and trusts us to do the right thing with it. So I, the joke is, I have people who I'll be working with, and they're like, okay, I can either work at this non-for-profit that helps children uh, in Africa in the slums, or I can take over uh, pastoral leadership of this church. And so after we talk through all the gifts and everything and passions and all that, like what do you love and and how are you trained? What's the thing that gives you most life? If everything seems to lay out even, it, I just I usually just say, why don't you just choose? Because honestly, number one, you're not choosing between pastoring a church and like committing mail fraud. It's not like you're trying to choose between great and evil. You're choosing between two things that are very close to the heart of God. And so that whole discernment around what do you love a lot of times leads you to say there isn't one thing that you could do. There isn't one specific task. Now, if you are choosing between mail fraud and pastoral ministry, that's a lot easier. But there isn't usually one thing. And so the question of discernment is, do you trust God? And does God trust you? And if God trusts you with what you've been given, this passion, and it can be done, you can love God, self, and others with everything you have doing either of these things, then which one would you like to choose? And the question beneath that is, what is the fear that is leading you to believe that you have to choose one or the other? Because I find that most of the hang up in that conversation is what we're afraid of. 
We're afraid of failure. We're afraid that we will ruin something. We're afraid that there won't be enough energy, funds, strengthen our family. And those are things to consider. But ultimately, when we think about what we love versus what should we do, fear a lot of times is the obstacle that gets in the way. And so being able to think that through and say, what am I afraid of? What do I fear most? And is the fear really causing this decision to be far more complicated than it should be? Now, that's a that's a very generalized way of doing it. If I were talking to someone specifically, obviously there are some personal things we could get into. Personal history, uh, gifting, ability, stage of life. I'm having more of these conversations with myself. I'm talking to myself. I'm having more of these conversations with myself as I get older, um, as I'm no longer the young guy in the room with you know, the upside, the potential. And now I'm, if I ever was that, now I'm the person who has been around for a while. And I feel like my role, in the, especially in the local church, is shifting to say, how do I help the people around me get the, get the opportunities that they need? Uh, how do I reserve what I say for the moments when it really needs to be said? Because what I love most is being able to see people thrive. That's what I love. I think when we're younger, sometimes we sometimes we're in love with the progression and the success, and that's where that's where God begins to teach us. Let's take a break to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work. What is social work? At Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, it's empowerment, service, and justice. It's ministry, counseling, and relationship building. It's faith, practice, and community. But above all, it's learning how to help others thrive. Social workers can be found addressing the full scope of the human experience in churches, schools, prisons, government agencies, senior living centers, nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies. Careers in social work profession are vast and varied. What is social work, you ask? It's much more than you think. Visit gsswstories.baylor.edu to explore more. Just a few minutes we have left. I want to take this from a personal level into a congregational level. Um, Our season of restlessness uh, not only affects us, but those around us, especially our connection to the church. And I think there's two sides to this kind of question. On one hand, the church becomes the thing we flee when we are working through our season of restlessness rather than what we draw close to. Um, what's your sense of this? I think that can be true. I think I think it looks different. If you're a person in a congregation, if you are an optometrist or a pipe fitter who attends a church, and you're going through a season like this where something has happened, maybe it's in your faith. I, I think the best way to illustrate it is to think that way. You've had a change in your faith. There's a person I talk about in the book who is a dear friend, and he had a major shift that happened in his faith, and particularly how he read the Bible. And so I say this for the sake of argument, or not argument, but the sake of discussion. I don't want to open an argument, but it's. I feel like this is a good place to start. He he talked to me and he said, I, "I in my small group we were having a conversation about the Book of Jonah." Now he's not a he's not a pastor. He worked at a audiovisual company, and he said, "I just I just don't think I can believe that a big fish swallowed a person anymore." And he said, "I brought that up because this is a group of people that I've been with for quite a while, and the people in his group just." 
they just destroyed him. His faith, whether he was being faithful to the scriptures, whether he was even a Christian. And so what he learned from that moment was when I have these restless things, I need to find someone to take it to and it can't be them. And so in some ways, running from the church or fleeing from the church when we were in restless moments is a learned behavior because maybe we're in a church culture that is allergic to things like questions, uh, movement, doubt, doesn't have space for that, or has taught and affirmed that the best people are the most certain people. The most faithful people are the ones who never, who never really question anything. They just which means that it's all happening on the outside, of course, because no one lives in that space forever. So I think if you're a person who is attending a church, it depends on if you've seen a culture in the community you're a part of, faith community you're a part of, that has space for that. And so, yeah, there is a sense in which you could flee from that. For for ministry staff, especially for pastoral staff, especially for pastoral staff who have a teaching responsibility. You can take that that I just talked about and multiply it exponentially by a thousand. So you're the one who is good, bad, or otherwise in the spot of being the answer person, the sage on the stage. And for you and for you to express any restlessness is you feel the weight of it not only for yourself, but also for your people. And I think there's a healthy piece to that because we have to, we are responsible for the things we say and the implication and what happens as a result of the things we say. So we do have to be careful with that, but we also need, that's one of the things that I think is most beautiful about soul care is that we offer these non-anxious safe third spaces to pastors and leaders and uh, CEOs and teachers where they can talk about some of the challenges in their restless seasons with someone who's going to create space for them to work through it instead of them working through it in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning in front of their congregation, who is some of them are brand new to faith and very fragile. And some of them are, have been a part of this forever and, and we'll see this as, as disobedience or something like that. So I think it really depends whether you run away uh, whether you flee the church culture or the congregational culture based on you know what kind of community are you a part of and is there space for that and there are places for anyone who wants to pursue uh, something safe some place to be able to talk through these things there are places where that's possible uh, but those aren't always known either um, most of the time I'm working with people in spiritual direction just helping to tell them you're not crazy this actually is this that you're feeling right now is actually part of it and so God is going to teach you in the midst of it. God is as present here as he is in the mountaintop and the uh, certain places. So uh, just giving them some confidence there is really important. Yeah. And, and kind of lastly, on the other hand, the church can create a vicious cycle of uh, participation um, as a marker of success, leaving many to feel that they either have to be all in or all out to truly be a part of the church. So what are some new kind of uh, pathways forward that the church can take in helping people uh, cultivate a, a, a richness during their season of restlessness? Well, I think the church, big, the church as in the local church, lowercase c, 
has been, there's been a lot of teaching floating around about vision and mission and all that kind of stuff. I'm wondering if it's time for churches. I've never talked about this out loud. So this is sort of workshop thinking. I wonder if it's time for churches to start really talking about identity, who they are, not just who attends there, not just where they are geographically, historically, where they have been, but their identity as far as what kind of community do we want to become? Not just from a vision standpoint, but from a, a culture standpoint. And do we honor the sub question to that is do we honor the fact that we are filled with people who are moving from stage to stage of spiritual growth? And sometimes that's going to have I mean, every stage, I, I really believe this from watching it, every movement from one stage to another of spiritual growth has pain involved. Pain is the thing that moves us from one stage to another. And so a church that has an identity that says we want to help people move along and grow in their maturity also has to be okay with the fact that it's just going to be a mess and that they're going to have to honor and find ways to honor and ways to support people who are moving into a stage where the stuff that brought them here isn't going to get them there, where you know, showing up every weekend and listening to preaching isn't the thing that is connecting well with them. So I think that's part of it. I think it's also one of the things that we churches can do to bring a fresh look at this is to really think about how our, like you said, our all-ins, how they're really affecting people. I heard a, I heard a message by uh, John Mark Comer, who uh, has written a couple books, the talked about the ruthless elimination of hurry. He talked about hurry sickness earlier. And he mentioned that when we talk about something like a rule of life, like a designed, structured set of habits that lead to spiritual growth, every church has one. And usually a church's rule of life is attend each weekend, join a small group, serve and give. And one of the things he said was, the problem with this is it is not specifically geared towards growth and spiritual maturity. It's specifically geared towards running a local church. And I thought that was fascinating. Now, each of those things by themselves are not bad, but I think church is developing a very, a much more intentional approach towards how do we help people move in the direction of spiritual maturity? How do we help them take steps that keep their soul healthy? How do we help them understand that they are going to move through seasons of pain? They are going to have to release some things that used to be key parts of their life with God, and they're going to move into some new stuff. They're going to be restless. Uh, they're, they're not going to fit the molds that we often think of when we think of quote-unquote good church people. I think if a church can embrace that, a community of faith, a local church can embrace that and begin to think about it as part of their, a part of their identity, they're going to create over time those kind of spaces where we feel safe enough and where we can grow in those restless times. Well, our guest is Casey Taggart. The book is The Gift of Restlessness. You can stay connected with him by visiting caseytigard.com. Uh, Casey, it's been a joy talking with you. Thank you for inviting us to lean into our irritations and unsettledness for deep and more significant ways of seeing each of the restless questions. Grateful.
Grateful to be with you. Grateful to have this conversation. We are grateful for a chance to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Zondervan Media Group. Explore the depth and beauty of scripture with the NRSV updated edition. With provisions based on new contextual evidence, historical insights, and linguistic precision, this updated edition of the NRSV delivers a translation of scripture based on meticulous care for accuracy and readability. Learn more about new editions of the NRSV UE from Zondervan at nrsvuebible.com. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Gardner Webb University School of Divinity, a model ministry, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, and Zondervan Media Company. Check out more at cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and more. And I'm not sure if we mentioned that you should join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.